Welcome to the LTC University Podcast, empowering and educating across the great state of South Carolina. Here we go. Welcome to the LTC University Podcast. My name is Jamie Preston, and today we're going to be talking about the brain. And we have Dr. Heather Boger. She's the Associate Professor in the Department of Neuroscience at MUSC in Charleston. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And today, I want you to give just kind of a brief overview. You just got done speaking at our Community Leadership Assembly, and you were talking about the brain and aging. And and so give us a little brief overview of what you do. So what I do on a daily basis is I do research on Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's to look at aging-related effects on the brain and what are things that can cause accelerated aging of the brain and lead to cognitive decline or motor impairments. Right. And so so describe Parkinson's, and I'll give a brief overview of both of those diseases. We hear them all the time, but I don't think people understand them, or they just think it's all dementia, which it is. It's dementia, but... I think people sometimes get those confused. It's true if you're not experienced or know somebody that's had it. So Alzheimer's disease is classic, just memory loss, memory impairment, whereas Parkinson's disease is motor dysfunction, um, shuffling a gait or the the shaky palsy, if you will. But they are two separate diseases. Right. So let's let's talk about how somebody gets Alzheimer's or uh, Parkinson's disease, and, and if we know. So we do know that there are what we call modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors for both. Both have genetic um, predispositions associated with them. Genetics, um, you can have family histories that can lead to an onset of, but also age. Age is the number one risk factor for both of these Mm -hmm. disorders. Um, And then you've got things such as modifiable risk factors that we can do to try to reduce our risk. I can't say it prevents, but, you know, having a healthy diet, exercising, socializing, keeping your brain active Mm -hmm. um, helps reduce the risk of developing any type of degeneration of the brain. Yeah. And so so let's talk about those things. You know, what are some of those things that we can keep our our brain sharp? Because I I don't think watching reality tv does that matter of fact i I listened i was here listening to a podcast the other day and they have got some data now showing that it actually can decrease your iq watching reality tv shows i i believe that now i will watch i will watch them every so often mainly to have a good laugh but yes i would i believe that but no, um, staying physically active, getting out, socializing, whether it's painting or cigar clubs or wine clubs, you know, doing something to where you're using the brain, um, moving, uh, exercise, physical exercise has been shown to reduce Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. It also reduces depression. Mm-hmm. Um, exercise also reduces our social isolation, you know, where. You know, we're by ourselves all the time, but you're staying active, Mm -hmm. doing things that you enjoy that bring you pleasure, help a lot with reducing the risk. Yeah, and I think we can all do that, and we should. I mean, I see people sometimes they are kind of a recluse. They don't want to be, they're introverted, uh, and I think they still need that mental stimulation of talking to people and and interaction, I think, keeps us sharp. It's true. I mean, it goes to that old adage, use it or lose it. I mm-hmm. mean, if you're not using the brain, if you're not challenging your cells, asking them to walk up and down a flight of stairs or reading a book, 
um, or even watching a movie or laughing with your family and friends, I mean, yeah. you're going to lose it. I mean, the cells, they're only going to last for so mm-hmm. long. Yeah. So you use it or lose it. I have a friend, uh, her parents, they are, they're so intriguing. He's an artist and, and they work really hard at staying sharp. And every year they pick something new to learn. So one year they were going to France, so he wanted to learn French before he went over there. So they learned new languages, which learning new languages for an adult is hard. It's challenging. Um, oh, yeah. Kids pick it up way easier than, than adults do um, when learning them. I just went to France here, and I I tried my best. I, I had an app. The only thing I was able to communicate with was the crepe guy. And he didn't speak any English. I didn't speak any <laughs> French, but we communicated. But that was that was about it. Um, it's, it's difficult, but I think just forcing yourself and giving yourself those kind of tasks to help keep yourself sharp. And then just learning in general, I think, is important. Oh, it is. And it's, it's one of those things you've got to want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be something that, you know, you know, that would be rewarding for you, not something that's going to cause you grief and right. heartache. But yeah, you know, if you're going to go to France, you want to learn the language, mm-hmm. try to pick it up before you go or learn the different types of grapes that they make the wines from so that you can be, there the, you, you know, challenge <laughs> the, the experts. And, but it is, it's, it's doing stuff that brings you pleasure. You know, yeah. you want to do stuff that's not stressful because right. we know that stress in itself leads mm. to degeneration and, and so you want, and also maintaining a sense of humor, a positive attitude. Yeah. Okay, so I forgot where my keys were yesterday. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's going to happen again. Doesn't right. mean that all is going downhill from here. But you know, just accept there are some just minor changes that occur. And, and I think we live in this world too, where everything is becoming becoming automated. You know, now they have things you put on your keys so you can find your keys. Um, my phone. You know, we've all lost our phone. I have my watch. My watch can ping my phone to tell me where it is. You know, what do you think about those kind of things? Because we're automating a lot now. Sure. And, you know, I have no uh, no problems with that kind of stuff. You know, then the question comes, well, do you, did you lose the thing that reminds you where that other thing was? Exactly. Um, but, no, I think having that, that kind of technology is wonderful. And I think technology has done a lot to help even our senior population. You know, you're seeing more and more seniors now with iPads and iPhones. A lot of that's to keep up with the technology that their grandchildren have, mm-hmm. um, which I think is great. And they're learning something new as they're learning how to use the iPhone. So having reminders, I think, is a great thing. I think where you're going to, you know, we start to see issues is when then you don't remember that you have that device yeah. to help you find. That's where you right. start seeing the accelerate and know something's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we don't memorize phone numbers anymore. Like I, I can tell you my childhood phone number at our house, but I I don't know anybody else's phone number because we don't memorize anymore, you know, and I think there's probably a line we got to be careful that we're not losing those memorization techniques. Yeah, and I'm just as guilty of that as the next person. The only phone number I can actually remember is my dad's home phone number. Yeah. But if I had to get in touch with my sisters or anybody else Mm -hmm. without my iPhone. Yeah. I'd be up a creek. It's a good thing we don't have pay phones anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about you know let's let's kind of dive in a little bit on those things that do and, and kind of go in a little more detail. You know, exercise. You know, how many days a week do you think somebody needs to be exercising to help that brain health? So the the national health um, the CDC actually recommends for seniors. 
three to four times a week, about 30 minutes a day. Um, but if you think about it, there's so many ways that especially seniors can get exercise. Mm-hmm. Like my grandmother loved working in her yard. Yeah. And that was a form of exercise, mm-hmm. you know, or cleaning around the house. So there's a lot of ways we actually do exercise. We just don't think about it. Mm-hmm. But the CDC has recommended two to three day, uh, excuse me, three to four days, 30 minutes yeah. Uh, minimum. But, you know, doing weights as mm-hmm. well helps. Yeah. Um, it helps stave off other diseases as well. So yeah. it's not just about the brain. Yeah. And I, and I, I don't think you have to go to a gym for that. I no. think there's so many different ways. I think, especially for seniors, you know, you got a gallon of milk in the refrigerator. That can be a weight. Oh, you know? yes. Um, you can do squats with that. You can do, there's so many different exercises you could use those things for. Oh, sure. And, and most PTs, OTs have modified version of exercises for seniors, mm-hmm. you know, especially if they're at a greater risk of falls. But, you know, you'll see a lot of times seniors are out walking, right? you know, with their neighbors or they're at the mall walking, you know, have a routine. And, and so, no, a gym doesn't have to be involved right. in, in any of this. Yeah. And I think some seniors, you know, I've talked to before, like, hey, why don't you get a gym membership? And they're like, oh, I don't really want it. There's so many things they can do. I remember my grandmother, she worked in the garden, like you said. You know, she had a big garden. Mm-hmm. She could outwork anybody. And it was tough. You know, I remember helping her and working with her. Um, it's definitely exercise. And, and honestly, that's what exercise is, 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 you know, replicating the work that we would have done as, you know, as civilizations have advanced and, you know, is just replicating that work. Oh, yeah. So uh, what are some of the signs for somebody to start looking at, you know, they're a senior, they're, they're in their 70s, 60s, 70s, and they start forgetting their keys. They start for, you know, what are some of those major signs to be on the lookout? And, you know, most of the time it's, it's somebody with that individual that, that sees the signs before. And it is things like can't remember street address, can't remember where the car keys are, may not know where they are in the present, what the location is. And it's those small points of forgetfulness that occurs first Mm -hmm. before you start seeing a person not being able to tie their shoes or remember how to eat there's little key things and really it's it's that individual that's around that person enough that's like you know something's Mm -hmm. you know she's forgetting that a little too much or really this is something she should know and and yet she's forgetting it yeah so it's always little things in the beginning Mm -hmm. um that triggers a, a caregiver or a loved one to maybe let's go go get checked out. Let's mm-hmm. see a neurologist or go see our doctor and, and just have some tests done. Yeah. And I think especially for older people, I know my looking at my parents, they, that's going to be tough for them. You know, uh, you know, thank God they, they're not dealing with that right now or, or hopefully never deal with that. But it's tough because I think in our culture, we've really separated mental health from physical health. So if I break my arm, sure, that's a no-brainer. I'm going to, you know, pun intended, I'm going to go to the doctor and get my arm checked out. I'm going to get it, whatever they need to do, if it's surgery, what, what have you. I'm going to get that figured out. But when it comes to our brains and, and brain health, I think we're so much more um, guarded with that. We don't want to talk about that. We want to keep that in. Well, it's a loss of identity. You you start to lose a sense of self um, and none of us want to do that. None right. of us want to see ourselves go through where we're not going to exist anymore. And we do have a great fear of forgetting. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing with Alzheimer's. We don't want to ever get to the point where we forget yeah. or don't remember. 
and and that's that's where it comes from a lot of times and there is a lot of patient resistance and there's a lot that caregivers and family members have to contend with and there's specialized care um, and individuals that are trained but it it is a lot because you're losing a sense of self right yeah i think that's definitely you know, and I, and I know in our country we have to get a hold of the mental health aspect. Most of the time it's not covered in your insurance, um, you know, a lot of times. And even in good insurances, it's not covered, you know, um, depending on what it is. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. Talk about the personality for, of somebody who goes through Alzheimer's because your personality can change as well. Uh, you see some differences. Uh, for instance, I had a, a family friend. She was the sweetest person on the planet, uh, just so kind and just so giving. And she became a stinker, if you will. And she she was cursing at people, and, and it just shifted and completely changed. Talk a little bit about that and why that happens. It's true. I mean, you'll see... Um very drastic personality changes in some individuals that are diagnosed and and others you may not see anything you know they're still the kind person they just they just can't remember um i've seen both sides i've seen where really mean people become really sweet and really sweet people become just nasty Mm -hmm. um in terms of why you know there is no predictor to that i don't think we truly understand why a person's personality switches Uh, We assume a lot of times it's because of the change of the environment, the situation, the resistance to the disorder and not understanding, but we can't ultimately attribute it to that because we really just don't understand the the mental Mm -hmm. switch that occurs in in patients. And, and, you know, I've, I've been a part of studies or situations where even when they have a personality switch you can't understand what they're saying sweet as can be but you put a something familiar in front of them and you don't know why but then it's like nothing has ever happened you Mm -hmm. know they talk to the baby like they don't have the disease or they'll do that art and craft Mm -hmm. um, project as if they completely understand where all the pieces go and parts and so there's a lot of that aspect of the disease we just don't understand mm-hmm. yeah i, I have uh, know someone with vascular dementia and one day they they just kind of you know for lack of a better term lose their mind and they mm-hmm. they they're aggressive and and then another day they're completely with it mm-hmm. like they seem normal like the the old person that they were yeah. you know uh, and it's really, and I think that's really tough for families to do. It deal is, with. and that's that's why you know we work down in Charleston with several senior centers, memory care units, and and it does take specialized care. You know, those individuals realize that you know that's not a normal day for that patient, mm-hmm. and you know, but they can't take it personal. You know that right. they're now in the lives of that that patient, and it becomes very hard for family members, especially if if you know grandma doesn't remember mm-hmm. you know you or calls you by another name and it's you know thinks of you as a totally different person or you know they just want to leave they're just ready to leave and and yet it upsets you because you know you can't because they need to be there and and that's where the specialized care really you know they know how to to get that person's mind off of Mm -hmm. what's agitating them and help calm them down but the family members feel helpless you know that's their mom why can't i get you know why is she so mad at me i should be able to help her Mm -hmm. And it, it does. It's, it's very taxing. It's very frustrating for families. Yeah. And it's, I think, you know, with compassion fatigue, 
I think it's, you know, especially those people working in the memory care units and the assisted livings that are working with these people, it can be challenging. Oh, sure. You know, and I think you have to continue to develop that empathy for people that are going through that and realize, hey, they're not mad at me. They may have just yelled at me, but they're not mad at me. It's true. But, you know, as I think any of us could attest to, we don't want our mom or dad yelling at us or mm-hmm. grandma get mad. And, yeah. and and what gets harder is they don't know that they're doing it, mm-hmm. you know, and we need not take it personal. But after a while, it does just kind of, yeah. The caregiver burden is, is extraordinary. It is. It definitely is. And I think families just start grieving earlier. You know, I think that's – and so so being there for those families I think is really important. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because we're seeing health impacts um, significant on family members, caregivers, um, to where, you know, the risk is that caregivers are going to unfortunately pass before the patient is and it's because they're taking on all the burden emotional mental Mm -hmm. physical that that patient is just you know just there and you know existing but it's the families that are are getting affected more right it's definitely impacting them and uh, what are some of the techniques with working with somebody that has all alzheimer's you know for a family member you know what would you tell them so when working with an Alzheimer's patient, the, the one thing uh, a caregiver or an individual has to remember is it's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's about that patient at that time. If the patient is, just doesn't want to brush their teeth, think about it as do they really need to brush their teeth right now? Mm-hmm. I mean, is it that battle worth it? Yeah. You know, or, you know, if you, they need to, you know, you want them to change clothes. Okay, is that going to be the end of the world if they don't change their shirt today? Mm-hmm. You really have to think about it as you're in that patient's world. And you need to back off and say what is worth fighting versus not. Mm-hmm. Let them go at their pace, introduce certain topics, and just kind of ease them into things. But don't demand, don't say, well, you got to do this because they don't understand mm-hmm. you have to be in their world yeah yeah i think i, I always use my own parents you know just because i know them really well obviously and uh, my mom she contracted encephalitis at one point uh, it was after liver transplant and and she just was not in her right mind mm-hmm. you know she had this infection in her brain and she would say crazy things she was telling me about a cruise ship that was outside the hospital that she was in and she's you know and so i just go along with it my dad really struggles with that because he feels like he's lying to her and he's like i would never lie to my wife you know and and he would just nah there's no there's no cruise ship out there well she's getting frustrated because there's a cruise she's ship getting out upset there. because that's what she sees mm-hmm. yeah and so i think you have to kind of go into their reality you do i mean that's that's ultimately with with a dementia alzheimer's and and it you know, can't perceive it as that you're lying, but you're really having to be in their world. Mm-hmm. And if they see a cruise ship, so be it. What's going to yeah. happen if, if they're really not seeing that cruise mm-hmm. ship? You know, it's, and that's, that's really where people do struggle. You know, yeah. it does get hard. Well, it's a moral issue. I think people see that lying to somebody is, is wrong because we're taught don't lie, you know, but I think in this case, it's, ex- it's excusable. Well, and in this case, you know, who, who's it going to hurt, yeah. you know, kind of thing is, right. you know, if that's what she sees and it makes her happy, mm-hmm. 
or not. I don't, you know, maybe she doesn't want to see that cruise ship. Um, (laughs) But, you know, just to go along with it, because, you know, ultimately, I would think a person wouldn't want their loved one to be agitated, but to just, you know, have a calm sense of. Right. But that's part of it. That's part of the frustration. And that's where, you know, caregivers, family members, having support groups, having people they can talk to Mm. to help them with training or just understanding and saying, it's not you, you know, this, this is the disease and it's not that person. And so caregiver support is, is necessary for anybody living with someone that, or knows someone that's going through this. Absolutely. And there's tons of support out there. So so let's get into like the the science of this now and and what what have they found that actually causes Alzheimer's or what is Alzheimer's a description of you know how it works in in the brain. So Alzheimer's disease simply put is a loss of cognitive function, uh, learning and memory processing. And what we see pathologically with that is there is a loss of brain tissue. There's a loss of cells, certain population of cells in in certain regions that store memories. Um, In in terms of, you know, various causes, there are genetic links to it. There are uh, genes that cause early onset versus late onset. Um, There's family history. And, of course, age is a number one risk factor. Um, But there's been other things that we can try to control, such as diabetes has been linked to Alzheimer's, um, hypertension, so high blood pressure that goes uncontrolled, Uh uh, depression, in fact. And we're seeing a lot of that, especially among seniors that are, you know, have lost a loved one or, you know, become socially isolated. You know, depression's on the rise. and, Uh And if it goes untreated, unmanaged, then that in itself can lead to cognitive decline. Absolutely. So there's quite a few things that, you know, go on. Alcohol consumption is another big Mm -hmm. one, cigarette smoking. Um, So there is no one cause which creates this conundrum for us as researchers to try to treat or or even prevent the diseases. It's like snowflakes. No two snowflakes Mm -hmm. are the same, and it comes down to no two patients are the same. Right. And... uh, you know, but there's a lot of research being done to try to, to find targets to slow the disease or even biomarker studies to, to try to isolate, you know, someone that may be predisposed to the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of education out now to help with, you know, what are factors that you can try to reduce the risk of for mm-hmm. the disease. Um, but tons, tons of research still being done to, to help try to figure it all out. Yeah. Yeah, and I love the work that you're doing, um, what MUSC is doing to, to really help with that. And it's so needed because we have a huge population of seniors that are, that are going to be facing this. And, you know, and we've got to be there. we got to help. We, we can't just sit and do nothing. It's true. And, and it's like we, we always talk about when we go and do different groups. It's not just that person that's affected. Everybody, society mm-hmm. is affected. And, and it's not just a family burden. It's not just a research burden, a medical burden. It's a societal mm-hmm. thing that we need to, to really advocate for, support. You know, uh, politics needs to be some involved because, yeah. you know, while we're doing great things for people to live longer, all this technology and medicine and sanitation improvements, all this, you know, we're helping people live and have these extraordinary lives, but then we're also facing all these other diseases that didn't exist mm-hmm. necessarily, you know, 100, 200 years ago. And, and so we got to do our best to help now mm-hmm. manage yeah. and, and help those patients and families that are 
are going through these struggles. Absolutely. Oh, as we close here, thanks so much for what you're doing and, and the families that you're helping, that you're, the patients that you're helping. It's so needed. And um, we, we appreciate you guys for being on the podcast. And uh, thanks for all you do. Well, thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. We have a few things coming up that we want you to be aware of. The first thing is our social worker drive-in symposiums. We have two opportunities for all you social workers to take advantage of. The first symposium will be in the upstate in Spartanburg, South Carolina on September 12th. Registration will begin at 9.30 a.m. at New Hope Christian Church in Spartanburg and will conclude at 3.30 p.m. that day. The second social worker drive-in symposium will be in Beaufort, South Carolina on September 26th from 9.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. The symposium will be at the Baptist Church of Beaufort in the social hall directly across the street from the church. At both of these symposiums, social workers will be able to earn up to five CEU credits, all for the low price of $50 per person, and this includes lunch. To register, you can go to www.ltchs.com forward slash LTCU. We encourage you to get registered right away for this great symposium. If you have questions or need more information, please email Susan Lutheran at S-L-U-T-H-R-E-N at ltchs.com. The second thing we want to tell you about is our Community Leadership Assembly. This happens on the first Monday of the month in Columbia, South Carolina at 1626 Main Street from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. You will be inspired and learn from great teachers while getting to network with people from all over South Carolina. LTC administrators and social workers can earn up to three CEU credits at this event. You don't want to miss it. The only cost for this event is $10 and that includes lunch. So we want to see you there. Thanks so much for listening today and let's keep learning.